guys ready for the word today? Well, welcome back to the Elephant Room. Um, if you are new here, if this is your first time here, we have been in the Elephant Room tackling some pretty um, contentious topics in nature. And so today we are talking about the gospel and diversity. The gospel and diversity. Y'all ready? Yeah. All right, honey, I need you to shout me down from in front there. Uh, so welcome back to the elephant room. I've heard a lot of feedback from people who were relieved after some of the topics were talked about, and then others who were still grappling with content. So I imagine today and the following weeks in the series that many will continue to grapple with this. Um, and that's okay. Questions are welcome. God can handle big questions. But here's what Francis Chan says in his book on uh, unity. It's called Until Unity. He says, too often we fixate on our disagreements and we feel like we can't worship with such big elephants in the room. We don't see that God is infinitely larger than our elephants. Francis Chan. And I think this is a great reminder that while we are talking about some hard topics here on Sundays, let's not let the differing opinions snuff out our understanding of who God is. This should just be us jumping on the road of asking more questions and wondering more about who God is and letting us be informed by his word about how he feels about some of this subject matter. When we can understand God's heart on this subject matter, we can understand who God is. And so as we're talking about scripture and we're diving in, um, we are developing our theology, which is our understanding of God. This is not an issue of how can I learn to be right on this topic? How can I um, effectively discuss and argue with the people who I know have a different view from me? That's not what this is about. This is about understanding how big your God is. And his goal in, I believe, and his heart as it relates to speaking on diversity and looking at his scriptures, I believe that the goal of this topic is God's heart for unity. God's heart for unity. He wants to see unity take place among diverse groups of people. That really is the gospel message, and we've known it since we were little, since we were little kids. Why don't you sing with me? Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Come on. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. One more time. Just kidding. Um, but this was a song that we've sung since we were little, and it was easy to worship to that. But as we get older, and as we have different experiences in life, uh, diversity becomes more difficult. And when different current events happen, it gets more difficult for whatever reason to really understand God's heart on diversity. Because then we start getting into this camp or that camp, and it's either this or that that we should form our opinion about this current topic. But God is saying from the very beginning of time, and really the message of the gospel, is that a diverse group of people would come into unity. That the church would be unified. Because we're unified in mission, right? We're unified in mission, 
and the mission that he has for everybody who calls himself a Christ follower is to build the kingdom of God. You're a part of the kingdom of God, so let's continue to build the kingdom of God, right? But you know, I don't know that I'm the best person to talk about this. Um, I don't believe that I'm the best candidate to talk about this, partly because um, I'm, I'm human. <laughs> so uh, over, not partly, completely, because I'm human, okay? So back uh, in COVID times, about 2020, um, Caleb and I had a little tiff, as I think a lot of couples did when they were living in the same home every day, all day, every day, <laughs> right? Anybody else? Okay. And I know another issue that we really had, I think, during 2020 was, and ladies, you feel me on this because the nail salons were closed, but our cuticles needed some help, right? So what did I do, you guys? I went out of my way to very intentionally jump on Amazon and buy a new set of um, clippers and a nail kit, right, to take care of my cuticles. And I didn't just get the silver, you know, cheap set. I got a black matte nail kit set because I think I was really in a black matte everything. Um, my furniture, I just love the accent of black in my room or in my house. So I was like, ooh, I need to get this black matte, you know, beautiful set of nail kits. What, how would I say this? Like a, yeah, nail kit. And not only was it black matted, it was in a beautiful brown leather container package. It just wraps up so perfectly and it matches um, all my toiletry accessories, okay? So girls, you feel me on this, right? Like you feel me, like you wanna get, you know, beautiful products to match your whatever. <laughs> so one day, Caleb was just like, uh, no, I asked him, because I looked at my set that I bought on Amazon. You following me? I bought it and I looked in and I was like, oh, where's my nail clipper? I need my nail clipper. I don't like when there's something missing from my set that I bought very specifically and intentionally, okay? And I asked Caleb, I was just like, hey, where did, where did that nail set go? And he goes, uh, oh, you mean my nail clipper? I go, I'm sorry, your nail clipper? No, 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 that's my nail clipper. He's like, no, no, it's not. It's my nail clipper set. I bought it on Amazon. <laughs> You understand how intentional I was with picking out this nail set, right? You're like, where is she going with this? Well, you guys, I, I got more mad and you can understand why I'm getting, it's starting to rise up in me. Like that was mine. I, are, are you kidding me? I bought it specifically because it was black matted and it is leather and it works with my toiletry bag, bag, et cetera, et cetera. And then he responds, no, it's mine. And at this point, I think he knew that it was mine. Okay, the, guys, do you ever do that? Do you guys ever, do, he just said, I still think it's mine. Unbelievable. <laughs> so then I did what any mature wife would do. And I said, it's just like you to be a white colonizer claiming something to be yours that was actually mine. Okay, I, I really don't want you to not listen to me anymore. I'm just trying to let you know um, how human I am, okay? I just want you to know, no more than 10 seconds passed by and we bust out laughing because it was so ridiculous. I don't know what was going on with me, but at, <laughs> I feel like some people are still very disappointed, but it's okay, we're gonna move past this. But, <laughs> but then 
we laughed about it. You know your relationship or your marriage is in a pretty good state when you can laugh immediately when something that you said was meant to hurt and then it's so ridiculous you have to laugh, right? Anybody been there? So, um, so, but right after that, I go, babe, I'm so sorry. I don't know where that came from. And I go, Instagram got me. So, and here's the thing. I think sometimes Instagram gets us. And unfortunately, when it comes to the topic of the gospel and diversity, I think the only times we talk about it is when current events happen that um, have to do with racial um, tensions. And when things happen in this world, we're like, okay, well, we have to. And then it becomes like this race with church leadership of which church is going to talk about it first or we're we're going to be we're going to fall behind if we don't talk about it. And all the while, I believe that we're just supposed to talk about it. And I know that's an unpopular opinion for some. Others probably wish that we talked about it more. Either way, I knew that I was coming into an elephant room with this topic. Uh, But I, I recognize that as Christians, I do believe that there is a level of Um, participation in Instagram solidarity posts, marches, strikes, or different cancel culture tactics (laughs) that I believe serve as only band-aids and become a passive approach to the work that God has for us in the kingdom and working on unity through diversity. So I... Don't know if anything's been burning on your heart because of any current events. And honestly, there is always racial division. <laughs> I mean, there's a war happening right now. There, there is stuff happening in this world where this topic is always relevant. It's always relevant because the gospel is always relevant. And the gospel has everything to do with a group of people welcoming in the rest of the world to become one new family. And that's, what is that? Groups of people coming together in unity? It's called building the kingdom of God under God's leadership in the name of Jesus through faith. So throughout scripture, we see God working to redeem a people for himself and a people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, colorful and diverse. This is what God has been working on. So I want to land in Galatians. So if you would turn with me to Galatians, I'm going to actually share the scripture that Caleb shared a couple weeks ago. And I believe that this scripture, um, Galatians 3.26, is more appropriately, um, it's the context for the scripture is better in this message than um, the women in ministry message. You have to go back to listen to the message um, to hear Caleb speak on that. But It says this in Galatians 3, 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. Sons, not slaves, not servants, you're sons. What does that mean? You're part of the family, right? You're sons of God through what? Faith. For as many of you as were baptized in Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. Heirs, part of the family of God. We are all in his family. And so before I dig into this scripture, essentially it's telling us that we're all a family. We're all sons of God when we come into faith 
coming to faith. But chapters one and two of Galatians, I need you to understand that it was written, this whole letter was written to the Galatians because Paul was frustrated. The Galatians um, were, the church of Galatia was a multiracial church. A lot of people were coming into the fold. A lot of people who were not from Israel were coming into faith and confessing Jesus Christ. And so he was frustrated However, because some of the Jews were running to the church of Galatia and saying, no, you have to be circumcised before you can even be a part of the church. Before you can even call yourself a Christ follower, you have to abide by this law, that law, and the other law. And what Paul was frustrated with is that he's saying, no, we're all, since Jesus came and fulfilled the law, we're not bound by the law any longer, but we, because of Christ, are no longer bound to it. So... The gospel, what it really is, is the crucified Messiah who has set us free. We are all on the same playing field. Not Jews are not more important because they keep the law. Men are no more important than women. The slaves are no more important than free. Like we're all on the same field. Like all of us are part of the family of God. Do you follow me? And so that's what he was saying in chapters one and two. And then chapters three and four, he really wants to determine that we understand. He really wants to determine that we are part of this master plan for God to create a new multi-ethnic family. His purpose, God's purpose, and it is still his purpose, is to have one large multi-ethnic church that relates to him on the basis of faith. You can read it that it was in his heart since Genesis. I won't go into all of that. But essentially, he wants to create a huge family. And how many people know if we want a multi-ethnic family, we can't probably be just one color. Am I right? Okay. And again, it's not even about color. It's also about gender. It's about socioeconomic class. There's a lot that goes into diversity, and it's not just, and I'm going to get there, it's not just about the optics of diversity. I'll get there. But why is this an important conversation for the church? I think a lot of you are probably having conversations about diversity and inclusion in your workplaces. Am I right? Okay. And actually, I do think it's relevant, relevant considering affirmative action and the removal of that. We could talk about that another time another elephant room. We actually said we probably should do a podcast or another video where you guys could ask questions and we can um, speak on those. Look out for that in the next couple weeks. Um, But I do think that it's important for us as the church to do unity and diversity well, because really the gospel addresses diversity and the need of it. The gospel is the, or diversity is the byproduct of the gospel. So this is important work for us to be doing as the church. And what I'm concerned about is that I'm hearing people even in the church just being like, oh, the church is just behind. The world's already doing diversity and inclusion. They're just behind. They're just trying to act like the rest of the world. And then people get on their high horse and they're just like, well, I'm going to leave the church because um, the church isn't even doing diversity well themselves. And while that may be true, I also think that we need to be informed that diversity has been an issue like long before the time that we've been living. God had a plan to make his church diverse. 
he had a plan that it wouldn't be limited only to one body. So we've got to get, we've got to get this business and this mission as a family. How many people are parents in here? And sometimes when you're trying to get your kids to do chores, you're like, everybody in the family contributes, right? That's, that's what I've said to Canaan, I'm sure. Like, honey... Like, oh, why do I have to, actually, it's not really him, <laughs> it's the other two. Like, oh, why do I have to, why do I have to do the dishes? And it's like, everybody contributes to the family. Everybody has a part to play. And I want to tell you today, as it relates to diversity, everybody in the family contributes. There's a part that we play. There's, some, there's a role that we play in this. But another perhaps bigger elephant in the room is racial discord. Rich Velotis, he says this in his book, The Deeply Formed Life. The gospel we proclaim must be big enough to engage the realities of racial fragmentation. Man, I read that and I read that book and I think you guys, I, I recommend it to a lot of you who may be struggling or trying to figure out this whole conversation on racial reconciliation, two of the chapters of 10, so one-fifth of the book, has to do with um, really understanding um, racial reconciliation and how much God values that. But um, essentially, he's saying that this racial fragmentation, it is an issue. I think that there are times that we want to ignore issues and sweep them under the carpet because it makes us feel uncomfortable. It makes us feel uncomfortable to know how people actually feel. It makes us feel uncomfortable to continue to talk about it when you feel like you have no part in it. It makes us feel uncomfortable. And something that was really alarming, I, I read on uh, research that was done by Barna Group. They help resource a lot of churches with relevant statistics to help them build healthy churches. But they said this about one of their... their uh, research topics, practicing Christians on why the church shouldn't address racial injustice. 46% of practicing Christians said this is not the church's job. And then 26% said racism isn't really an issue. It's pretty heartbreaking to think that. And I don't think it's because people are not aware of what's happening in this world. I think it's because people are not aware of themselves. More than half of the church, 70% of the church, over 70% of the church does not feel like racism is an issue. But we can't deny feelings. Some of the other tests that they have run have produced results that show that people believe, number one, I have experienced racial prejudice in my church. Number two, I feel pressure to give up part of my racial ethnic identity in my church. Number three, I find it difficult to build relationships in my church because of race. Number four, I find it difficult to move into leadership positions in my church because of race. It's an issue. You can't deny this. You can't deny the findings. And so I've asked myself, how have we dealt with this need for diversity? How can we address this. And I, I want to encourage you that it's more than optics. 
Unfortunately, I do believe, and I, I understand this because I went to school in Southern Missouri where I was asked and called into the admissions office every few weeks to be a part of the photo shoot that would reveal how diverse our college campus was. And there was a while there, I was just like, am I pretty or am I just brown? You know, like, I was like, token Asian, it's okay. It's fine, it's, it's a thing. And I'm not saying that it's bad to do that, but I do think that sometimes we feel like we've addressed the issue because we've addressed the optics of it. But can I encourage you today that dealing with racial reconciliation and achieving diversity in the kingdom of God is not an outside-in effort. It's an inside-out effort that God is challenging us to look inside so we can address this accurately and address the reality of it. I, I, I'll admit there are times where some of the things that have happened in this world have made me more aware of it. Caleb was just telling me the other day that he became more aware of the need for representation because he has an Asian son now who said his favorite golfer was an Asian golfer. And Caleb was like, why? He's like, because he looks like me, you know? And that was something for my husband to just recently recognize, which is funny because your wife's Asian. Anyway, we won't go there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I could say anything, third service, okay. <laughs> um, but we need to do an inside-out work, not an outside-in work. Diversity motivated by creating the right optics is really just counterfeit unity. Barna Group found that seven in 10 Americans think that diverse friendships will improve racial dynamics in the US. And how many people have heard this? But I have friends who are brown, I have friends who are black, I have friends who are white, right? And that should take care of the racial issues. Seven out of 10 Americans believe this. That if we could just become friends. But the nature of this solution matches the Americans' perceptions on the nature of the problem. According to most people in the US, it's personal, not systemic. I think we have to address not just the personal but systemic, but I am gonna give you some personal help here. But here's what they say in a book that they created, um, Beyond Diversity. But he's, they say, while relationships are an important component of developing empathy and understanding, we do need to develop empathy and understanding. We, we believe that, right? So that is why we should be having personal relationships with people who are outside of um, our own, right? The Beyond Diversity research shows it's potentially counterproductive if it's the only step. If optics and personal relationships are the only step, and we are not making a group effort out of this, then we are gonna fail miserably in accomplishing the kingdom work of diversity. So let's not make that the only steps. I have four steps for you, which are ab ab actually habits that I believe will help us as we pursue diversity and lining up with the gospel. You ready? Okay, four habits for you. Number one, the habit of remembering. The habit of remembering. <clears throat> when I read this um, and thought about this, uh, Rich Valados, he gives this um, option 
to help with the racial reconciliation, reconciliation issue. I remember, I thought, oh, it's probably remembering what other people groups have been through, remembering. And then I kind of got rocked and I'm like, well, it's not about remembering what other people have been through. It's remembering how you were formed. Let me give you an illustration. I remember when my mom came back from the Philippines, she came back with a bunch of products. So I think some Filipinos in here know what I'm talking about. Uh, but she came home with this really special facial cleanser. It was called Eskinol. And it was astringent to really help your skin get in the pores. And I remember putting it on. I was like, that kind of burns, you know? <laughs> so interesting. And then I realized, especially when I got older and I visited myself, that they were advertising this product, Eskinol, um, as an astringent. But essentially what it was doing was stripping your pigmentation and making you lighter. So what was formed in me? I don't think that my parents are racist. I don't think that I'm racist. Now, is it there a potential that there was something that creeped in my brain at four, in fourth grade that said being lighter is better? I, I don't, maybe. But I know that many of you have stories. We sat at dinner with like two other couples, Brazilian, uh, Salvadorian, Hispanic, Filipino, and whites. And Kaylin, just so you know, we make jokes all the time. So I don't think joking about race, racial stuff is, it actually like clears the air. Like there's so many times that last night at dinner, I was like, babe, you're the only white person here. It's awesome. Ah. And then we are all laughing. <laughs> so like they all understood what I was talking about. And I was like, oh, finally, you're the, finally the minority. Oh. Okay, sorry, I just, want to tell you, I just want to tell you all the jokes that we make. Um, <laughs> again, third service. Okay. Um, but I think it's, it's important for us to understand that we need to focus on what has formed us. Because I think that we don't realize what has formed us and we start building ideologies and building, okay, I'm going to say it, pedestals upon which we stand on that we don't realize were formed by wrong, like people who brought wrong things into your thinking. Products that were motivated to make a people group look lighter and therefore worth the cost to pay for this product. Do you understand? So, how were you formed? How were you formed? Are you asking yourself the hard questions? At a seminary level, in a seminary level conversation, um, this question was asked. The real question of Christian discipleship is not, can I be your brother in Christ, but can I be your brother-in-law? Did you follow that? It's not just, again, it's not about the optics. Oh, yeah, we're brothers. Or is it, can you be intimately close with me? What has formed you? The way you answer that question reveals, could reveal how you've been formed in other areas of your life. Again, this isn't just a matter of saying, look at what happened to a group of people. This is understanding how were you formed? How is the place that you were brought up? How did it form you? How have your experiences formed you? It's important for us to remember that and our remembering could potentially lead to repentance, which is my second habit, the habit of repentance. Let's not get lazy. Let's remember, but let's also 
repent. Repentance is regular confession, regular forgiving. I think we can get a lot further in these conversations when we realize the reason why we don't like things in other people is because we don't like the things in ourselves. Or we've identified the things in other people to have been a part of us at one point. You know that saying, it takes one to know one, right? If it takes one to know one, that means that there's a level of what you're judging somebody else for of that behavior in you yourself. I mean, I do think that I'm a better leader over um, people who are younger than me because I was once young and I can understand how they're thinking. I think that I'm a, I can parent because I understand what it was like to be a child once, right? So I feel like God gives us that wisdom so that we can help the next generation, so that we can help them understand things, right? But sometimes we get to a place where we are just void of anything wrong. <laughs> and when we're pointing things out, we're sitting on a high horse and we're saying, it's not in me, but that's messed up in them. We need to get to the point where we can repent for things that we acknowledge in others. Because here's what happens. If we're not repenting regularly about things that have potentially formed us in the way we see other races, the way we see another gender, the way we see socioeconomic differences, if we don't allow God to, uh, if we don't repent over some of those biases and prejudices, that do happen. Can we please say it does happen? There, there's the elephant in the room. It happens, okay? Okay. If we don't take responsibility or accountability, that just proves that there's no truth. How many people know people in their lives, when they don't take responsibility for their actions, it's like, bro, are you even in touch with reality? Right? Just me? Come on. Everybody, you understand that? You're just like, are you in touch with the reality? Do you know? We, we watched all that happen. Please just take responsibility for it <laughs> or take ac accountability. When there is a lack of responsibility or accountability, there is a lack of repentance and there is a lack of reality in your life. So we have to continue the habit of remembering, continue the habit of repentance and then really develop the habit of reconciling prayer. Our efforts to change who we are or bring diversity into a room, our efforts will become vain if it's not coupled with reconciling prayer. Martin Luther King Jr.'s wife, Coretta, she wrote this about the civil rights movement. Prayer was a wellspring of strength and inspiration during the civil rights movement. Throughout the movement, pray, we prayed for greater human understanding. We prayed for the safety of our compatriots in the freedom struggle. We prayed for victory in our nonviolent protests, for brotherhood and sisterhood among people of all races, for reconciliation and the fulfillment of the beloved community. You know that there were was success in that journey because there was prayer attached to it. Our efforts outside of prayer are vain. In our work for rec reconciliation, when we are praying people, when we get down on our knees and when we're repenting and identifying things that we need to give up to God, that is one way that keeps us in the fight. I think there is a temptation to just give up and be like, it's not a thing anymore, I don't wanna deal with it and just quit. And it's this refusal to stay in this work of building the kingdom and promoting diversity. But if we're praying 
it'll give us the strength to continue to try, to continue to stay in the fight. And if we are praying, reconciling prayers, then it will give us the humility to not rely on ourselves for the solution. I've seen it happen where people get really passionate, especially when something happens and Instagram is blowing up about a current event. I've seen it happen where people are really passionate about it, and when they're not passionate, or when, when the current event dies down, the passion is totally gone. Or there's like all this effort, and, it, and then it's like not aligned with prayer, and then it just looks gross. It just looks angry. And so I think that God is wanting us to stay on our knees in prayer so that we don't give up, but also so that we rely on the Spirit more than anything else to apply the strategies that He wants to address kingdom building. So the habit of remembering, the habit of repentance, the habit of reconciling prayer, I believe that all three essentially are the final habit, and it's the habit of revival. Oh, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. If that was the cry and the heart of his people, I believe that there is active remembering, active repentance, active reconciling prayer. Revival is when somebody says, I'm going to invite the spirit of God to come inside me and address all the muck and the mire and change me from the inside out. And if we are in the habit of revival, we're in the habit of being connected to the Holy Spirit, remembering who we are and what he's forming us. Did you know that day after day, you're being formed into the likeness of something? I pray to God that we're being formed into the likeness, not of our better self, our greater self, but into the likeness of Jesus Christ. The rest of the world, and some of the rest of the world who cares about diversity, who cares about inclusion, their motivation is that they would be their higher self, their kinder self, their more compassionate self. Well, I want to be the Jesus self. I want to be the person that looks more like Jesus. This whole thing called Christianity, this whole spiritual journey is a spiritual journey of being formed into the likeness of Jesus. Are we becoming more like Jesus, church? I want you to know that when you walk in here every week and you're sitting by all these different people, every different color, every different socioeconomic background, different age, different stage of life, you aren't just a bunch of strangers coming in here to receive a word from God. (laughs) I mean, you might think that, but there's a greater plan that God had to bring you here. And that's Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You don't have to be isolated anymore. You're not on your own. You're not on a mission unto yourself. And it's, it isn't just you and God. <laughs> Can I tell you that? I think sometimes we're like, oh, just me and God, I'm good. No, no, no. We're on a mission together. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple. Every single one of us, arm in arm, believers of Christ, we're being formed into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Individually, when God is addressing the muck and the mire in our hearts, we are being presence carriers. 
we're hosting the presence of God. And then when we're in unity with one another, loving one another and fighting for diversity, fighting for unity, then we're a big group. The gatherings are not just about you and God. The gathering is about us being united and together hosting the presence of God so that we can see the presence of God move in and through us. There will be a spiritual awakening and revival that takes place when his church is unified. When we're unified and we're allowing him to do the work in us, then we're being formed into a temple where we host and become a dwelling place for God so that when people come and they want to be a part of something, they want to belong to something, then we can say, you're welcome here. You're welcome to come here and allow God, not us, but God to change you from the inside out. That's it right there. The spirit of God. And you know, I want, I want you to know I told you about Galatians 1 and 2. Paul was frustrated. He had to remind them what the gospel was about. Then 3 and 4, he really talks about this multi-ethnic family that's being formed into the, and, and is under the, the, under the rule and leadership of God through faith. But then chapters 5 and 6, it really talks about being in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5, 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Church, if we are going to stay in step with the Spirit, then we're going to continue to address racial reconciliation. We're going to continue to address and make the goal diversity, not just through optics, but through remembering, through repentance, through reconciling prayer. I believe that the prayer rooms that take place in our church, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, They've been a breeding ground for unity to grow and the Spirit of God to unite our hearts in a more powerful way than we've ever experienced before. So I want to invite you back to those. But I'm telling you, when God changes us from the inside out and we humble ourselves and pray, He will heal us and He will bring us together so that we can host the presence of God. And that unity will promote a move of the Spirit like we've never seen before that we've never seen before. Jesus came that we would be reconciled to him and reconciled to one another so we could be arm in arm, united. He is not simply interested in saving souls so that you can go to heaven. You got your ticket, you got your ticket. No, he's in the business of creating a new family and we have a group package. <laughs> that was so cheesy. I love it. <sighs> I really do think that prayer is the key though. When we're in prayer and honest prayer and not just praying for the outcomes that we want in our lives, but we're humbling ourselves and we're saying, God, search me and know me. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. And cast me not away from your presence. The surrendered heart that is praying on their knees, asking to, to see him and to be known by him. Oh, that changes things. I think that's the key for us. And let me just close with this. Francis Chan, he says, the unity of the surrendered is almost effortless. I do think it's a fight, but I think we make things harder for ourselves when we don't just surrender to God what he wants us to surrender what does he want to do in you individually so that you are no longer separated from the other people in the body? What is he convicting of your heart right now? What is he reminding you that you were formed this way and that situation made you think this way and maybe even pushed you away from that 
person or that situation. And I'm not just talking racial reconciliation. I'm talking about interpersonal differences here. God wants unity and diversity. Why don't you bow your heads in this place? I felt it again, this service. I know second service, I felt it pretty strong, but there was like, um, and it's not a weird thing. It's just, I feel like in my heart, he's kind of put the, reminded me that there's a burden that I've experienced and others have experienced where there's been a level of hurt that has happened in the church as it relates to race. And I don't, I know that sounds pretty general, but I think that there are some hurts that we have experienced and God wants to heal you. Unity can take place. The spirit of God can address and move and heal. So I want to just invite anybody who may have been hurt at a different church, this church, maybe there have been some um, behaviors towards you because of race or um, maybe forgiveness that you need to offer or you need to receive. I don't know what it is, but there have been some really contentious situations in your life, painful situations in your life that have hurt you because of race relations. And God's saying, heal here in my church, heal here so that you can move forward and help others heal in my body so that we can present a holy church, <laughs> a united church. If that's you in this place and you need healing, could you be so bold as to raising your hand? I wanna pray for you. I see those hands, I see those hands. I see all those hands, yeah. Lord, I just ask that you would come and meet those who raise their hands and you would address their hearts, that you would be close to them, that you would remind them that they belong to your family, that they are heirs and sons of God, sons and daughters of God. And whatever hurts, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would address them, maybe help them see what was at work there and help them see that you were there the whole time. You saw it, you understood it, you are a personal God, you walk in step with us, you don't miss a thing. So you were there, but we can go back to that moment and see he was there with me, I can make it through and I can be healed. I can either let it go or I can take another step towards giving, bring, uh, bringing forgiveness and addressing that area of my life. So God, I pray that you would heal, that your healing balm would just wash over their memories, wash over their, um, their triggers. And God, I pray that they would find in the next few days, weeks, and months ahead that they are healed, that some triggers that have been triggers are no longer triggers. So I pray that you would heal them from the inside out and that you would remove all fear to be in community, to remove all fear or any shame attached to um, who they are or what race that they're a part of. So touch them right now in the way that only you can. And I just wanna also pray for any of those who feel like they wanna give their life to the Lord, continue to bow your heads and eyes closed. I just wanna invite you, this is an invitation to the family of God. You may have walked away from him, maybe even because of some of these past hurts, or you just haven't made that next step of faith. You know, under Jesus's leadership, by faith, you can be a part of the new family of God and be on mission 
to see God do things, move in and through your life and through a church, through the Big C Church, not just our church, through the church, to see Him change lives, transform not just you, but the people in your life and change people, to change you. So if you wanna be a part of the family of God, you wanna recommit to Him or commit to Him for the first time, on the count of three, would you raise your hand? I wanna give you that opportunity. One, two, three. Anybody, I see those hands. One, two, three. Anyways, four, anybody else? Yeah, five, I see that. All right, would everybody repeat after me? Dear Jesus, thank you for bringing me here today. I acknowledge that you love me and your kindness leads me to repentance. So I accept you in my life. I know I need you. Wash me clean, forgive me, and make me new, and give me the strength to live for you and to stand for what you stand for and to carry your heart. I love you, Jesus, in your precious name, amen.